All right, good morning. Saying good morning to uh, the other venues that are uh, joining us, Roan County and Bearden campuses as well. We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 16. If we've not met, I'm Dave, and to our church, uh, we're in a series called Building Faith. Um, as we get started, I have a question for you. If you had to tell someone how to ride a bicycle who had never ridden a bicycle and you could teach them only with words... You can't hold the back of the bike. You can't help them stabilize. You can only use your words. How easy do you think that would be to, to get somebody to actually ride a bicycle simply telling them what that experience is like? And the answer is really hard. No training wheels, no help, no push from dad, none of that, right? You don't get to do any of that because riding a bicycle is something that we can only learn through experience. That's it. We only learn by doing it. And there's things in life that we can learn through other people's experience. You can learn wisdom through other people's stupidity, right? We can do that. You can see people make mistakes and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. That's a something that I'm going to avoid. But when it comes to certain skills, it requires that we actually do them. Same is true with driving a car. Like you can watch somebody do it, but until you get behind the wheel, until you actually experience it, you're like, whoa, this is what this feels like. I had my daughters faked out for years. They thought that our car had auto drive years before that was ever a thing. I could drive no hands. Some of you are like, oh, you're the worst dad in the world. No, man, I just drive with my knee, right? I can make my that car go down the road. And they're like, I'm like, it just steers itself. They're like, wow, that's amazing. Until you have the experience of getting behind the wheel and you're like, oh, this thing doesn't drive itself at all. This weekend, as we continue in our series, Building Faith, we're talking about that faith is also something that re requires experience. We come to faith. We're, we're introduced to faith, and we come to belief in Jesus, and that's just the, the starting point, right? That, that's just the beginning. Then if faith builds over time. And so as we get started, we want to talk about what is faith. We talked about this last weekend. What is faith? Well, the author of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And goes on to say that if anyone desires to please God, we must believe that, first of all, God exists and that he, he's looking for people who will pursue him, that, that he's looking for people who will have faith. Now, the concept of faith that's presented in both the Old and New Testament, we've reduced to, to one word. We've reduced that, that faith equals trust, and it does. It absolutely does. But the concept of faith is more interactive. It's more complex in the scriptures than simply equaling trust. It, it requires an interaction between God and a person that, that's born out of the information that we read on the pages of scripture, but, but just as significant is the experience we have with God. What's it look like for us to walk with God? So 
The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, in its little section on faith, it has a really great description talking about Old Testament and New Testament faith. But in that introduction, it says, throughout the scriptures, faith is the trustful human response to God's self-revelation via his words and his actions. God initiates the relationship between himself and human beings. He expects people to trust him. And last weekend, we saw that, that, that faith is, is built upon not our ability to believe. It's not based on our ability to trust. It's based on the, the trustfulness of God. It's, it's based on the fact of the character of God. Faith depends on the reliability of the one trusted. And so it's not just a blind thing. It's, it's about learning who God is and what God has asked of us, and then placing our trust in the character of God. And faith is both a gift of God and requires action on our part. And as you walk away this weekend, here's the truth to put into your life. Faith is born out of experience over time. Faith is born out of experience over time. Man, I used to hate it when people would say, the only way that you're ever going to know how to do something is through experience. Man, really? Can I, 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 know, I know I sound like an old guy right now saying that, but I remember being in my 20s and my 30s and people would say, well, you, you have to experience it. And I'm like, oh, I was single, right? How, how hard could it be to be married? Well, it turns out it's really hard to be married. I just didn't believe people. I've said before, every couple that I do premarital counseling, I think first, the first meeting that I do with them, they pretty much hate me uh, because I just tell them, it's hard. And I'm going to try and talk you. <laughs> it's not that hard, dude. <laughs> no, it's hard. And, and, and out of that, over time, we, we have to learn. We have to learn that that, that what's it look like for us to, to live with another person who's not like us? And every couple that I, I, I do premarital counseling with, I tell them the same thing. I'm going to try and talk you out of getting married. And I know they walk out and they're like, who does he think he is? I'm a married guy. <laughs> and if I can talk you out of getting married, you shouldn't be married. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be married. But if I can talk you out of it, you shouldn't be married. Why? Because it's one of those things that you don't know what you don't know, right? You only learn how to be married over time. Same's true with being parenting. If you don't have kids yet, uh, you know what? I know that you think you're the expert. I did. I thought I was a parenting expert until I had kids. And then I'm like, I don't think I really know. And, and my, my daughters are both in college now. And some days I think I have it. And then uh, some days I just absolutely lose it. And today was one of those days already. <laughs> in Hebrews, after, after writing about all the heroes of the faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11, going back through these heroes that we're beginning to unpack in the book of Genesis, the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or 
faint-hearted. That phrase there where it says that, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that, that means that he's been given all power and authority. It doesn't mean like it's a literal throne next to God because God is spirit. It means that he's been given, he's been given the place of all authority. Jesus has been given all authority and that he, right, he can totally relate to us because he is totally God, yes, but yet totally human. And he endured hostility so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And how do we do that? It's only through experience. The only way that we learn how to go through adversity is going through adversity. There's not a short circuit. There's not a, there's not a way to work around that. The only way you learn how to walk the journey of grief is to walk the journey of grief. You can, you can try and prepare for it. You can think you might know what it holds. You might think that you can understand, but the only way to know it is to go down that road. There's no other way. And that's, that's the thing about our lives with Christ. There's a guy by the name of Oswald Chambers whose wife um, took his writings and published them after he had died. And so he died in the early 1920s. And uh, in 1927, his wife had compiled a, a, a lot of his lectures. She had sat through and took shorthand and she made a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. You may have heard of it. And in that, um, it really was, that, that devotion was during a time in my life I was using that when it really was kind of um, a spiritual formation guide for me in many ways. When I started to trade away like, this idea that, that what Jesus thinks of me is more important than what, than what the world says about me. And in that, it says, the life of faith is not a life of mounting up with wings, but a life of walking and not fainting. Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. If we know Jesus, then, then we can have confidence in who he is. You see, it's really all about being relationally connected to Jesus. That's what we're pursuing. Why do we talk about that, Two Rivers Church? Why do we talk about being relationally connected with Jesus? Because that's the life of a disciple. That's the life of a follower. It's to be people who are relationally connected to Jesus. That's the life of faith. You see, faith isn't the goal. Faith helps us get to the goal. And what's the goal? To, to live life with Jesus. Faith is the result of learning to live life with Jesus. Over time, I get to recognize who he is and what he's asking us to do. And this is a really long introduction about Jesus as we jump into the book of Genesis. Because why? Because we need to keep in mind that we are followers of Jesus as we study the Old Testament. As we look to the book of Genesis, as we look to, to characters like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, like we're going to see this weekend, we need to remember that, that we view them through the lens of being followers of Christ. That our goal is never to be like a Bible character other than Jesus, and yet we learn faith lessons along the way about how God interacts with these characters in his story. So as we pick up in Genesis chapter 16, this is our framework on how we're going to approach God's story. In chapter 16, it says, now Sarah, Abram's wife, 
had borne him no children. And it's important right now that we put into context that at this point, Abraham has been promised that he is going to be the father of a multitude of people. He is the father of of people who are going to be a blessing to all people for all time. And at this point, it has not happened. It has not happened. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said, to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now, we read stuff in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but more so in the Old Testament, where we're like, what? the what is going on right here. This is one of the passages. Why in God's story is there something about a guy taking, a a, a woman taking a a servant? First of all, it's whack. They had servants. What is that all about? And then she takes a servant and, and she gives them to her husband so that they can have a baby together. This is crazy. But what Sarah did, while it seems strange at best, right? Like, this is wacky. Why would she have done this? We need to really understand that what she was doing was a common cultural practice. If if you were married and, and you could not have children, as a woman, you would say, okay, I can't have children. And so there has to be a surrogate. In order for the family line to continue, it requires that there are children. And because I've not had children, I'm going to find a surrogate in order that you can have a child. And, and we do the same thing today. There's, it's, it's culturally appropriate in our day that we would also have surrogates. We just do it differently because we have science. They didn't have science. They are like, okay, well, I guess this is the road we have to go. And then things go sideways. Hagar gets pregnant, and and her response for Sarah is what? It's described as being contempt. She has contempt for Sarah, and, and she's gone from being a servant to now saying, okay, wait, I'm now a wife. We're on the same level, and Sarah's having none of it. And Sarah said to Abram in verse 5, May the wrong done to me be on you. Every guy in the room is like, yep, I've been there. (laughs) I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said, what did I do? I just did what you told me to do. No, that's not what he said. Abram said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Leave me alone. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Circumstances changed. The child that she thought she was going to be claim, uh, to claim as her own was now uh, this, this servant Hagar had said, no, this is my child, and, and had contempt for Sarah, saying, I'm also a wife. And Sarah's like, oh, no, you're not. You're a servant. And she dealt harshly with her. Now, faith is, is born only out of experience over time. We've talked about that. And here's a simple truth. Sometimes 
Faith requires waiting. And if we've been around church just for a microsecond, you've heard that before, that faith requires waiting. That, that we, we, we who've been around church for a long time, we often talk about, quote unquote, waiting on the Lord. And we just use that as a euphemism for something's never going to happen. I don't really want to do anything. I'm waiting on the Lord. No, what we're talking about is that, that, that God is a God of his plan and his timing. And so Sarah's waited for 10 years. I, I've waited. God has made a promise. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out how to do it. And so Sarah figures out how to accomplish God's plan. She's like, okay, it's been 10 years. It's not happened. I'm getting older. Time clock's ticking. And so we have to come up with a plan. And so she figures out how to accomplish God's plan. And then we see that after Hagar's contemptuous response to Sarah, Sarah's harsh response requires Hagar to leave town. And so Hagar's like, I'm out of here. She flees in the face of difficulty. She's like, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to be a wife. Now I'm still being treated like a servant. She's treating me terribly. The circumstances have changed. I'm out of here. When it comes to to living life with Jesus, we have to to embrace this, this truth. God can take longer than I think he should. Maybe you could even insert the word often. God often takes longer than I think he should for whatever that is that that I'm believing God for. Now, here's just an important little caveat. There's things that we can believe God for. There's promises that he's made to us, but then there's also promises that we superimpose on God. And so I'm not talking about the things that you might superimpose on God, like, like um, hey, uh, we as a, as a couple, we don't have a child. We want to be a parent. We want to have a child. We don't have a promise from God that we would have a child. After all, we're not Sarah and Abraham. We're just a couple who's married in 2022, and we'd like to have a kid, but we're facing difficulty in that process. God hasn't maybe made a promise to you specifically that you will be able to have a child, and yet you're still believing that he will. Okay, that's, that's different than God has revealed to you something in a very specific way that he's made a promise to you about. Either way, it requires that we actively wait on God. I can actively wait on God's next step, whatever that is. And so I want to talk about the concept of, of passively waiting versus actively waiting. Passively waiting is simply saying, oh, well, it'll happen when it happens, if it ever happens. Actively waiting is seeking God in it. It's asking, it's seeking, it's knocking. It's, okay, God, I I either have a very specific promise for you or there's something that's on my heart and I'm going to keep pursuing you in it. I'm not going to manufacture it. I'm not going to force it, but I'm going to keep pursuing you in it. It's, It's actively waiting on God. And, and to actively wait on God means that, that I don't simply give up engaging God, but I pursue God in it. It's moving beyond the, I prayed for it once. It's kind of like the story of the guy who got married and said, um, hey, I love you, and if anything ever changes, I'll tell you. And he said, I love you one time. Well, what do you mean? His wife comes back to him and says, what do you mean? You, 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 we've been married for 30 years. You never told me I love you. I said it when I got married. If it ever changes, I would tell you. 
There's something about us staying in the pursuit. And so there's a foundational, we're going to learn two foundational daily life questions as followers of Christ. I believe that if we implement these in our lives, we will be followers of Christ. It's that complex and simple all wrapped up into one little ball. And the question is, where are you asking me to wait? God, where are you asking me to wait? God, what's the, what's the thing that I have on my heart that you're asking me to wait? Now, we also need to be careful along the way that, that as we're trying to, to, to discern what's it look like through experience to discern where God is leading and how he's prompting, what, what we can kind of do as a default is we can insert our will on God's will by over-spiritualizing things or seizing spiritual language for something that we desire. In other words, and, and I'm going to talk real specific in church life, okay? When there's contact, a conflict within the church, when, when people have a disagreement, it, often what happens is one side or the other chooses to over-spiritualize the language and says, oh, we just feel like we're being called away. When in fact, what they actually mean to say is there's conflict and we want we don't want to be involved in conflict. We want to avoid conflict. So rather than pursuing reconciliation, we're simply going to go to a different church. Have a nice day. Because within the body of Christ, right? Like, well, what, 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 we've, been, we've been together in this thing for a long time. We've been together in this for, for 20 years. We've been together in this for a while. So now what, 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 God called you to what? Can you, can you explain to me? Now with that, it may very well be that God has called someone to something new. That could be true too. But often people aren't waiting for God to actually give them explicitly. And so they just go, with, it's a feeling that I have. And here's something experientially of walking with Jesus that I have learned. The closer something is to my heart, the harder it is to discern whether or not that is something God is calling me to or something I'm calling me to. Is that me or is that Jesus? It gets a lot harder when I'm at the center of it. That's, that's when we have to open ourselves up when it comes to following Jesus with other people and we open up our lives and be like, okay, this could be me because I really have a vested interest in seeing this go in a certain direction. And so I really need other people to speak into my world. And maybe God is calling me away, but you have conflict. If you don't resolve the conflict first, how will you ever know if you called you away or God called you away? They'll never know. Because we just opt out and we work God's plan for him. So what we see next is, is um, God goes after Hagar, picking up in verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
when we listen to God, sometimes God says, wait, but sometimes God says, move. Sometimes faith requires acting. Sometimes it's waiting, but sometimes it's, it's putting it into motion. It, it, it is putting it into action. God has given Hagar some very specific instructions. She's supposed to return to a situation that we might consider wrong. Hagar had to return to circumstances we might consider wrong. She was being, we don't know exactly what it was, but there was some kind of conflict that had forced her into fleeing. And she's like, uh, God says to her, nope, go back, submit to your mysteries. He's like, what? I just got away from that toxicity. I just fled from those toxic relationships. I just made it out of that difficult circumstance. And God says, nope, go back. In our culture right now, a culturally um, celebrated practice is to cut all the toxic people out of your lives. Have you heard this? Like, if you want to be happy, cut all the toxic people out of your lives. That's what you need to do because they're making your life harder. And you know what? That seems on the surface. I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of want to do that. And then I actually thought about it. And I'm like, if I cut every person who challenges me, who, who, who might question me, who might make my life a little bit more difficult, I'd be on a, a, an island all by myself. Now, I'm all about boundaries, and I think we need to have healthy relationships. And if somebody has betrayed you in a relationship, it requires reconciliation and all that. Yes and amen. But as followers of Christ, the last thing that we should do is embrace an idea, and I see it in evangelicalism. Like, hey, cut the toxicity out, man. Stay around all the positive people. The problem is the world needs Jesus, man. We better have some toxicity in our world. Because how do we ever speak the truth into people's lives if we're not actually in people's lives? So it requires that we're like, wait, that's a cultural norm. We see here, God's like, yeah, go back to the toxic relationship. What? I was being mistreated. Yeah, get back at it. This is, this is a biblical paradigm. Wait, just because you're being mistreated. Now, I want to, I want to specifically, if, if, if you're in a situation where any person is being physically abused, man, that is, that is outside the bounds. I'm not saying that you should be hanging around any type of physical abuse. I'm not talking specifically here about abuse. But I am talking about difficulty in relationships. I'm talking about difficulty in circumstances. I'm talking about that difficulty you're having at your job and, and the fact that, hey, my job is difficult right now, so I'm looking for a new one. Maybe, maybe that's God calling you to a new workplace, but maybe, just maybe, it's you calling you to a new workplace. I tried it. I've been really open about that. I've tried that, man. I, I tried to call me to all kinds of new workplaces. Now, when it comes to living life with Jesus, God may ask me to do something I don't want to do. God may ask me to do something I don't want to do. And because I personally don't want to do much, it could be a lot. God may be asking you to do something you don't want to do. 
For Sarah, what was she told to do? She, she had to wait with Hagar in her house with her son. And, and then as we read further into the story, I'm going to encourage you to read further into the story. I want you to go back to chapter 12, read all the way into 21 so you can pick up more of the, the theme of the story. You'll get more out of this series if you're reading along because we're going to go really fast through this summer to the end of the book of Genesis. But in the midst of that, what we see is that she had to wait for 13 years with Hagar in her house. And she had a son. His name was Ishmael. And they're they're living in my house. Now, eventually, she gets to send them away. In chapter 21, she's finally, ooh, good riddance. They get to go. But, But not for a while. So if, as we look at our lives, there's a, there's a second foundational daily life question for a follower of Christ, for a disciple, for somebody who is, is about having their life con, conformed to the image of Christ. The second question is, where are you calling me to act? First question, where are you calling me to wait? Where, where are you asking me to wait? The second, where are you calling me to act? Where, where's the, the, the action? Jesus, where are you calling me to put my faith into motion? We begin with actively waiting on God, but the thing about actively waiting on God is it's based in expectancy. Actively waiting is, is waiting with expectancy that at some point there's going to be a green light. We started watching F1 on Netflix. Anybody else start watching F1 on Netflix? Okay, just my family. Um, you should check it out because it's, uh, maybe don't, I don't know. They might use bad language. Anyway, all that to say is we start talking F1. And, and the thing is, the thing that I'll compare F1 racing to NASCAR racing is they do, they start from a stop. There's red lights and there's red lights and there's red lights until there's not. And when there's not a red light, those cars go screaming at the line. And I'm like, that's actively waiting. I wait and I wait and I wait, but I'm expecting that light's going to turn green. And when it does, I'm going to jam the gas to the floor. And why I have to think of it that way is it's so counter to who I am. I don't ask God this question because I'm just a lot afraid that he might tell me what to do. And so I find myself kind of opting out. So how do we know when to act and when to wait? The only way to learn is through experience living life with Jesus. I remember the first time I I heard this concept of living life with Jesus rather than living life for Jesus. And I was like, oh, so many people, they want to do stuff for Jesus. The problem with doing stuff for Jesus is we leave Jesus out of the mix. But if I do stuff with Jesus, then all of a sudden he's in the mix by the power of his spirit in me. And that's the call to a follower of Christ is to live life with Jesus. And what does it look like for us to put that faith into motion? Now, if you're, if you're doing the live it out section, I'm going to encourage you this week, check out the live it out section because you're going to get to dig into something on your own. And that is in Paul's letter to the church in Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. He uses this story between Sarah and Hagar. He says, he, allegorically, if we read this story as an allegory, he compares the two children that are born, and one is born of a slave woman, 
and one is born of a free woman. And he says, hey, the people that were born of Ishmael, the, of the slave women, they're the people who are trapped under the old covenant. But, but that's not who we are. As people who have new life in Christ, we're, we're heirs of Isaac. We're heirs of the free woman. And the freedom that we have in Christ is based upon the freedom that, that we have of the covenant that God has given us. And it's fascinating. What we see as we continue on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, some 13 years later, there's a child that's born to Abraham and Sarah. In chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. He did it. He made a promise. And he did it, and he delivered in it, and he waited long enough that it was not possible that that child could have been uh, anything other than a supernatural act of God. It had to be a supernatural act of God. Why? Because it was going in God's story. God wanted generations to know that he was the deliverer of, of his story, that he's the God uh, who, is, who is the God of faith that can be trusted. So as we head into this week, let's talk about next steps. And, and it's really just that as we would go into to Monday, that we would have two questions, that we would begin our day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And, and you may see over time that you're like, ooh, these questions, if I take these questions and I were actually not just to, to implement them in what I might consider my devotional life and the spiritual side of my life, but if I were to actually implement these questions into my business, ooh, these might... These might be game changer kind of questions. If I might actually ask Jesus, okay, hey, in, in what contracts are you calling us to move forward and where are you asking us to wait? What new business are you calling us to move forward and where are you asking us to wait? Or when it comes to hiring person, what person are you looking for us to hire? Which person are you looking for us to wait? He might actually show up and be like, wow, you're gonna let me in this area of your life too. This is gonna be amazing. Let's have some fun. What's it look like for us to look at our lives holistically, invite Jesus to be with us in every area of life, to follow him in every area of life? And these two questions are foundational to that. Jesus, where are you asking me to wait? And Jesus, where are you calling me to act? And then do it. It's one thing to ask the question. It's another thing to actually take the step. Um, I, I think I've said before, like my family, we, we sold our house, we moved. Um, we weren't really looking to move into the neighborhood where we moved, but we moved into a new neighborhood. And, and God um, recently has been, been showing me some stuff. And um, in the old neighborhood where I was, like I knew of my neighbors. Um, I, I knew that the, the neighbor who lived on one side of me, he worked at a church and those people go to church and those people go to church and don't go to church. And great. And, 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 yeah, okay, they're my neighbors. I know of them. And, and now we moved into this, this new neighborhood and God's bringing stuff to my mind that, that I'm like, ooh. And so I don't know them well. I'm on a journey, okay? Because I wanna say straight up, okay, if I, I don't wanna ever like talk down to a group of people, but as introverts, we can be kind of defensive of our introvertedness because we always feel like we're being judged by extroverts because we're quote unquote not friendly, 
And, and the introverts in the room are going, yep, mm-hmm. So, so what this is really a message for all of us. But I started to see the people. It's been interesting. I'm on a journey, right? Because here's how I'm wired, okay? And, and if I didn't love Jesus, I'd be more than okay with it. And if you told me it wasn't okay, I'd say, I don't care how you lived your life. This is how I'm going to live. I, I'd be just fine with opening my garage door, driving in, shutting my garage door, have a nice day. Because if I didn't love Jesus, there'd be nothing wrong with that. But I do love Jesus. Now, I, I just have started to pay attention. And it's amazing the opportunity that started to go, come with that by just paying attention and, and, and seeing what's going on in other people's lives. And okay, we could do that and I could help with your yard here and I could take care of that for you. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I start to see these people differently. Is it because we've been talking about three by five? Maybe, I don't know. None of those people are on my three by five. I've shared with you before, all the people in my three by five, that's a, that blew up. That's a mess. <laughs> but it's, it's helped me to go, okay, wait, wait, wait. These people who are right around me, how do I see what's going on in their world? Because I work with church people. I especially got to be paying attention to what's going on in the people around me. And, and I think the lady who lives across in the back, I think she loves Jesus. But apart from that, I don't know. And so it's a great opportunity that we have if we just start paying attention. You can do it in your workplace. You don't have, you'd be like, man, I blew up the relationship with my neighbor a long time ago. There's nothing that says you can't start over. There's nothing that says that you can't press in. That you can go, okay, God, are you calling me to wait or are you calling me to act? Are you calling me to step in or are you calling me to wait? So as you start this week, I want to encourage you to engage. I want to encourage you to jump in. Did you ask these two questions? And put your three by five at the center of it and go, okay, on my three by five, go through each person and go, God, are you calling me to wait or are you calling me to act? And then when you feel like God's given you something to do, do it. I say do it. And then guess what happens? Over time, you begin to discern, is that God? Is that me? Is that the voice of Jesus? Is that me? And, and the less that it's about you, the, the greater the opportunity that it's, about, that it's from Jesus about another person. And so you only learn how to do this through experience. And even when you have experience doing it, you have to go back and remind yourself, oh yeah, I have to go back to the basics and learn that the only way that faith is born is out of experience over time. It's the life lived with Jesus. And that Jesus is worth celebrating in worship. So jump to your feet. Here we go. Jump to your feet. All our venues. What we're going to do now is we're going to worship because that Jesus is worthy of our worship. God, we need your help in this moment to even worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.